0: Listening to the CIPD podcast series. Hello, this month we're at HRD, the CIPD's Annual Learning and Development Conference, to look at the trends affecting how we learn and develop as working people. Now since last year's event, we've seen Facebook hit the big screen and Twitter emerge onto the world stage as a catalyst for revolution. But what impact is social media having on the world of work? Is it a niche issue or is it, as some claim, driving a real cultural shift in the way we work, interact and learn? Joining me to talk about that, I have John Baker, former Development and HR Operations Director at Legal and General. Charles Elvin, Director at the Centre of Professional Learning and Development at the Open University. Clive Hutchinson, who's company leader at Cougar Automation and John McGurk, the CIPD's own learning and talent advisor. John McGurk, obviously e-learning, it's clearly broader than just social media. Can you just set the scene for us on how widely e-learning is now used?
1: Yeah, I mean, in the survey we ask about the incidence in the use of different learning and development practices, and uh, e-learning in terms of its use is increasing Roughly sixty-three percent of respondents um, saying that they're using e-learning compared to about fifty percent last year, and that's across um, all sectors. Yeah, uh-huh, and we can break it down by private and public. It's being used more in the private sector, but it's catching up in the public. So there's you know a kind of you know a growing trend towards it, and the issue is then accompanied by the fact that you know people think that whilst its proliferation is increasing, maybe its effectiveness is being questioned because. In terms of the three learning and development practices, people believe are most effective, e-learning comes fairly well down the list. You know, we're certainly seeing a high proliferation of e-learning, but whether that's accompanied by effectiveness is the issue.
0: Well, before we get into that, can, we, can you just kind of identify I me mean, what role social media is now playing
1: in all this? Yeah, well, we're seeing it emerging as a new form of, you know, delivery, a new media for e-learning, but um, we've, we've yet to really analyse the data and see what we think that means in terms of um, learning and development.
0: Yeah, we're all kind of forming our thoughts on this, aren't we? But Charles Selvin, I mean, what do you think is this, this big focus on social media? Is it part of this shift from training to learning as a more self-directed activity, or is that overstating it?
2: I think it's part of it. I think... Um... The, the, the description of learning as a self-directed is something that I think needs expansion, and can come back to that later if you want. Um, I think it's more to do with engagement and active participation rather than self-directed or directed by another. But the use of social media and how social media are used in relation to learning activities I think has grown, and it's one of the big challenges that exists at the moment for people who are looking at learning solutions. There is... on. I on first, sort of primary facely looking at it, it looks like a huge opportunity. The question is, how do you integrate it and make it effective? How do you provide something that gives a genuine output and value for the organisation whilst using it? Bits of it, you might argue, are a fad. My personal view is social media, such as Facebook, have a role to play. Things that are more entertainment-focused, like Twitter, I've not yet seen, although I'm probably open to being contradicted, are useful use for twitter it's entertaining it can be fun is it useful does it add to the learning experience i'm dying to see an example when i believe it is
0: but is it symptomatic of the way people like to learn and communicate now is that i think it's symptomatic
2: of the way people like to communicate and be involved is it how they like to learn is it a learning experience or is it something that people simply want to just say something for the sake of saying it Um, There are better ways of interacting um, than through Twitter and more effective ways.
0: What do you think, John Baker? What did you do at LNG about this?
3: It's a really interesting area, actually, because I think um, from two perspectives. One is it's very clearly a technology and a a means that many, many young people just see as the way of learning and of, of communicating and getting information. And we ignore that at our peril, in my view, because we could re-risk alienating a big chunk of the workforce. I think offset against that, you've got all of the um, control and risk elements that any big organisation faces. So actually, we took a view that if we were going to do those sorts of things, we'd do them inside our own firewalls on some of our own tools. So we'd use, for example, um, within our learning management system, the collaboration tools that that had, rather than open up Facebook
0: So were your people not allowed to use Facebook, didn't have access to it during working hours? Yes. Okay. And how did that go down?
3: We didn't get that much of a pushback to it. I mean, partly because we never opened it up.
0: (laughs) Yes. This is what we're doing. We're not talking. We're not debating it. (laughs) Okay. But you replicated it with your in-house systems, effectively. Yeah,
3: and and very clearly some parts of the organisation absolutely loved it. Other parts, you know, persons like myself at age 50 plus, you think, what do I want that for?
0: Really? You did see a big age divide, did you? Because that is something I'd like to and get c- into. Certainly really.
3: with those groups that absolutely took to it, like ducks to water, yes.
0: Mm. Well, before we get into that question <clears throat> of age divide, Clive Hutchinson, do you, how does this play out at Cougar? Do you, I know you do some e-learning, but what's your attitude to the social media question? Um,
3: well,
4: I, I mean, our attitude to social media in general is um, we let people do whatever they want and whatever they think is appropriate. So we, we're, I suppose, the opposite, really. We don't control it... In any sense at all. Do you
0: um, monitor use? No,
4: we don't monitor use at all.
0: So we you've no idea do. whether it's being, well, i use the term loosely, abused or not?
4: Um, well, I mean, of course, if you want to put a label on it like abuse, then <laughs> of course, uh, then you might find abuse, but it depends, uh, it depends what you want to call what people are doing. We trust our people. Um,
0: I suppose putting it in more broad do you feel people spend too much time doing non-work related stuff on it where you don't get that sense I
4: really don't care what they spend their time doing as long as they deliver for the customers okay. that's the only thing I'm bothered about and we, we do a lot of measuring in that area and people get a lot of feedback in that area uh, what they choose to do to achieve that that's entirely up to them
0: what about the question of age, divide? Do you see a division in usage amongst your people?
4: Yeah, very much so. I mean, I'm, I'm 45, so I'm about at the turning point, really. People younger than me um, use it a lot more than people that are older than me. Do you use it? Um, very little. Um, it doesn't, It isn't something that really interests me that much, but, you know, I'm not a great networker, so it's not necessarily technology that helps me to do the things I want to do.
0: So you don't see it having much of a role in, in learning?
4: I see that, well, I really, people will, in my view, is people will make use of it in the way they want to make use of it. So if it's got some advantage, people will do that. But people will find that for themselves.
0: John McGirt, what's the data on the age divide? Because actually users of social networks are considerably older than one might think, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's, a, there's a demographic and an economic issue in terms of access to, I mean, first of all, I think there's an issue about, you know, your your level of autonomy in an organisation and your ability to use that technology. You know, I mean, I'm basically licensed to tweet blog and all of those other things. <laughs> Whereas, you know, there'll be people in, you know, um, uh, and it's it's not a good thing and needs to be looked at, but people, um, you know, in less sort of, you know, senior outward facing roles um, don't get that access. That's one thing in terms of how it help happens in the workplace. And another thing is that this technology, you know, is um, is expensive, and it's sometimes only really adopted early by people with relatively high incomes.
0: Actually, in terms of um, buying the kit, yeah, an uh-huh. iPad or whatever. Yeah, hmm.
1: and um, you know, that's not to say that young people aren't enormously, you know, engaged in it. But um, you know, I think the idea of a divide in terms of you know that is is, is fairly exaggerated, and overstated, and not really looked into and examined. Um, but I, I think there are you know people who are. Distinctly uncomfortable with using social media. You know, um, some people think tweets are an absolute waste of 140 finger jabs or whatever. <laughs> some people think that you know they're the future of um, connectivity and you know networking. You know, now the thing is, there are people who do um, things around learning and development using tweets. They set up communities. They set up networks to get people. Retweeting articles, and you know we've got people talking about speeches, etc. So, and a lot of those people, you know, are um, fairly senior practitioners who have the autonomy and the access to be able to do that. So, I don't do you think, think that is issue. a
0: worthwhile and effective thing to do?
1: Absolutely do, yeah. I started off as a bit of a sceptic and, and I'm still the type of person that gets annoyed by people that are sort of hyper-connected to their mobile device and so distracted that they sometimes go down the, the gap at Clapham Junction Station <laughs> because they're so completely immersed in it. But at the same time, you know, this is this is the um, the infrastructure of learning um, in, in the o- outside the organisation and inside the organisation that we have to engage with. And we can't say that, you know, it's, it's, it's a waste of time because it's absolutely vital to how people learn. And, you know, all of the theory that's now developing around the psychology of learning is showing that, you know, in the way that the brain works, et cetera, showing that short, episodic, um, you know, follow-ups that reinforce learning, etc., are probably a much better way of evaluating and embedding learning than anything we've had to date. And I think that that's where the role has got to be and lots of organisations are using e-learning in that way.
0: What do you think, Charles, because you're obviously not a fan of tweeting, as you well, said. Well, I like
2: social media, I'm just not a fan of Twitter. I think we can yeah. separate the two away. Mm. I think when we use... I mean, we're lucky. The Open University has an open policy towards all of these. I mean, I use LinkedIn, I use Facebook, mm. um, and we also have a lot of work going on social media and how to apply it. For me, it's not... Whether the media or the technology in of itself is interesting or not interesting, people use it in different ways. It's effectiveness and appropriateness into that environment, which is what matters. It is, does it work? If you have the evidence that it's providing, as John has said, some reinforcement, we all know reinforcement is a very vital point of learning. It's a very important thing to do. Reinforcement, reflection, the ability to come back over stuff. If the way you like that is someone to tweet you a question to spark that thought then it's worked and someone has done something effective if it is you do it in different ways whether it comes through an sms or whether it's you know, a message or whether it comes through something you're doing online if it's working and we can demonstrate the impact i think that's fabulous i think it has social media that sort of interaction has a as yet not fully under, fully known role in how it interacts with other learning structures and what's Still, I think, a moot point, and it's interesting to watch where people, what people are doing, different organisations are doing it, different research bodies are doing it, is how you integrate it into an overall learning environment. In itself, it's no silver bullet. There isn't any silver bullet in this world, but it is an interesting and a, probably a very important addition. And the danger is people falling in love with one technology, mm-hmm. and, and it, it, is, it is another technology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a particularly pervasive one. It's, it's everywhere. Um, People talk about e-learning. One of the most interesting questions about e-learning is whether we all share the same definition. Because at the university, we talk about technology-enhanced learning. It's using the technology to enhance or expand the learning experience. If it is doing that, bang, it works. Fantastic. If it's just a distraction, it will probably die of its own accord anyway. So I think it is, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. For me, it's still a challenge in terms of how we integrate it. And that's, that's the biggest bit I, as yet, haven't... Seen, fleshed through, and I, I think, in some ways, as e-learning developed over the years, lots of models were used and fell down the side, and they didn't work. People felt you could put everything onto e-learning, and everyone actually, there's no point. It's just, you know, putting PowerPoint onto a screen with an next button, and you did it yourself, was a waste of time. Doing simulations were extraordinary and gave you an enhanced learning experience and gave you something you couldn't do before. And I think we we're at the early phase of that with social media whereas we're more advanced with other forms of online and electronic learning.
0: And what's your take on the age demographic question? Are there differences, or is that overstated?
2: I, I tend to agree with John. I, I think th- there may be certain forms of financial demographic that are different, although almost every teenager I see has a mobile phone and uses it more than I do, so I'm, I'm not sure there's an age demographic. I think certainly for new technologies like the iPad, I mean, we've been doing a lot of work, in the OU on how to use an iPad and how it can be applied into learning. I think there is a financial barrier there, um, but I also think the iPad is clearly a potential game-changer for a lot of mobile learning. And you're, you're doing research in mobile learning. The, yeah. OU even has, the OU even has a professor of mobile learning. Did you know that? Yeah. Um, yes, and and the, there's a lot... Of, it, it, it does potentially give you an extraordinarily transformed learning experience. And I think the iPad is probably one of the most remarkable, or the iPad and others, we should probably say,
1: tablet PCs,
2: have the potential to transform the effectiveness of mobile learning into a totally different realm. For me,
3: it becomes possible, whereas before it was a bit awkward.
0: What do you think, John Baker? Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that?
3: Yeah, broadly, I would, actually, yes. And I I uh, I think the interesting thing about working in the financial services industry is it's quite a conservative industry, so it tends not to be at the leading edge of this sort of stuff which actually can be quite an advantage because you can let the leading-edge merchants test these things out, find out what works and what doesn't, and then pick the best out. Um, But yes, certainly I can see these technologies making a huge difference.
0: So, Clive, if I'm understanding you rightly, you're relaxed about the whole question of e-learning or social media. You let your people direct their own learning. Is that right? Well,
4: we're relaxed about the social media and all of that kind of thing. We're we're relaxed about everyone. I mean, what we want is we want people to learn the things that they want to learn. You know, we organise the business so that everyone's got a very clear sense of purpose of what they're there to achieve. Um, If people want to you know, learn things to achieve that, then we try and give them the opportunities to pull that learning as they want it.
0: But it's very self-directed. You don't say, you need to go and learn oh, this.
4: Absolutely, because, you know, who, who learns very much if they're told they have to go and learn something rather than wanting to learn it? You know, well, I take the a point, but
0: that's how most organisations work, isn't it? I mean, what do you think, John Baker? That's not how you did it at G, was it? I think you take the view, the business needs to direct what people learn because it's a cost.
3: You, well, you actually need a mixture of both. Right. right. Because if you want to change the culture of any organisation, you have to do that through some quite strategic interventions. But you also have to recognise that individuals have needs to develop their own expertise, their own careers. So it's always a balance about how do you get both of those within the limited amount of resource that you always have.
0: John is, I mean, just to play devil's advocate, is there an argument for saying that investing in any sort of training is really dead money? Because you, you upskill people and they go.
1: Well, absolutely not. I mean, um, you know, the the idea that, you know, I mean, organisations are only going to build capability through capable people. And, you know, sometimes you have to take a, you know, it's a fluid labour market that we operate in and people do move on. Um, you know you don't sort of lock people in and you know and apart from a few environments where you can lock people in after they've been trained
0: but doesn't or, social media enhance that possibility
1: it, it does to an extent but it's, it then raises the game for organizations to make sure that the learning and development offer that they put forward to their staff and that actually fulfills their business needs is fit for purpose you know And actually, um, because people are able now to think, well, if I want to learn about project management, I can download an app. I don't need to listen to some boring kind of online, you know, um, virtual network presentation, or I I don't need to go to a classroom and listen to it, you know. So it it challenges L&D specialists to to raise their game I think and it challenges firms to put more value on learning because it's become the boundaries between learning in the workplace and learning in the social environment are just becoming totally blurred.
0: How does that work at Cougar Clive? Do you find that people they learn they become extremely valuable to you and because they are more connected now they do hop off elsewhere?
4: Um, no, because they, they want to work for us because it's a good place to work, because we're not telling them what they have to learn and what they have to do. We make it clear what what our purpose is and, and what we're all there to do together, and there's a sense of community. I think this idea that if you, uh, you know, should be worried if you train your people because they leave, well, that says something about what kind of organisation have you created that they want to get away from.
0: Organisations yeah. <laughs> but, but, are <laughs> so fearful, aren't they? They, are, they have this idea they're going to spend the training budget, and then their, their people, particularly their young people, are so socially connected, both within and outside the organization that they are going to be more mobile than they ever were
4: we do we do have an interesting debate in cougar automation about taking on fresh graduates because our experience with fresh graduates is they don't know how good it is working in the business when they join us they've got nothing to compare it with and there is this view it appears with 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 people of that of that age now that they will move on and try a few different things out so we find where you've got people who've maybe worked for five, six, seven years... ...and then they come and work for us, they'll never want to leave. Where someone straight a the university, they go, well, that was quite good. I'll go and try somewhere else now.
2: I think you make a very important point, And, and it, it reflects on the fact that learning inside any organisation is not solitary activity. If you are going to spend time and money developing people, giving them new skills and capabilities you have to use those and give them something to do with it. Yeah. or You've enhanced their value and their capability. Uh, the worst thing you can do is train someone to do something new and then send them back to what they did before. Yeah. It's ultimately yeah. deeply demotivational. So mm-hmm. when you put your learning strategy in place, whatever and however that works, wrap it around an overall policy and structure and activity to move people through roles and activities. It doesn't even mean you have to pay them any more. You just have to let them use and show that you value their new capability that you've given them. And so I think this
0: is a real leadership challenge. It's a
2: leadership it? challenge. But it also, I mean, I'm looking at sort of John for, uh, McCurkey. It, it's a frequent management error that you train someone, you put them through an expensive program, and, and then you ignore what you've given them. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and well, what do you think they're going to do? Just sit there and be happy with that? Mm. Almost certainly not. And it also reflects another thing. So a very quick point. We've talked about the company and the individual. A lot of the trends and a lot of the research shows that people are more and more identifying with their job role rather than their organisation. And that's been a shift over a lot of period of time. Mm-hmm. And that means that people are very conscious of what they're provided as their own professional development. And therefore, if they're not getting that from the organisation, they do start to look at it themselves and pay for it themselves. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing a... a a willingness to have both. The individual says, well, I'm responsible for my own skill set because I'm not entirely confident that the world of work is stable. Therefore, if my company does it, that's fabulous because I don't have to pay for it, and they're lovely, thank you very much. But if they're giving me stuff that they need and I kind of think I need something else, I'll supplement it. I will add to it. I think that's a very... It's not an either-or. It's become a both, and... People are very
0: conscious of their own employability. So the whole arena has become more sophisticated.
1: I think considerably more, and I think
2: the individual is more sophisticated.
1: And I think the opportunities offered by, you know, e-learning. And again, I'm I'm anxious to, to make sure that we don't get into techno-fadism. That we say that e-learning is the new future, or mobile learning is the new future. It's a medium for the delivery of, or a medium for not even the word delivery is wrong. It's a medium for people to engage with learning. Um, and for people to develop capability. And you know, that, that being out there in so many different varieties you know, means that you know, people will find those opportunities if organisations don't give them, if people don't build them. You know, and, and, and I think that's, that's going to be a real... Um, it's going to be a positive thing for learning in the workplace.
0: But for organisations in general, this cultural shift... An opportunity, not a threat. Would we all agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've only
2: ever met one organisation whose view of their internal skills for was and their learning and development policy is: if I want it, I'll go and buy it in the marketplace. Now that was a large law firm, and and their view was: we don't do learning and development. You do learning and development for yourself. We're not spending any money on it. If I want a specialist, I advertise. I go find. Now, I don't agree with that policy, but it is one extreme end of a learning and development strategy. I think they suffer for many ways, and I'm sure we could point out lots of reasons why that's a bad idea, but it's up to the organisation to make its decision. It's up its organization to the organisation.
3: There's actually, I think, a very real risk at the moment in the current climate as well, mm-hmm. particularly if you get the balance between organisational learning and individual learning wrong, mm-hmm. because it's really hard to, de- to demonstrate ROI or benefit from individual learning, which makes it a very soft target. And actually, if the finance director gets hold of that, or whoever, and the cuts are made, the impact isn't felt for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And regaining the position also takes a considerable amount of time. So there's a a real short-term risk, I think.
1: And I think that one of the heartening things for me at this conference has been the amount of focus that practitioners are putting on evaluation and impact, you know, which I haven't seen before. You know, maybe it is about bad times, increasing, you know, mm. people's um, tendency to look at those mm. issues of effectiveness. But I think that, you know, that's absolutely critical, and, and mm. it's, it's a, a real issue that we need to challenge um, the L&D community to make sure that they're in- integrating that into what they do.
0: Well, it is a fascinating subject. Sadly, we are out of time, but many thanks to my guests today: John Baker, Charles Elvin, Clive Hutchinson, and John McGurk. To find out more about the speakers you've been hearing or indeed to read up on the CIPD's own research into learning and development, take a look at the show notes for this podcast. You'll find those at cipd.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You will also find thought-provoking articles and opinions from HRDs and original thinkers across the profession in the comment and insight area of our newly relaunched website. Take a look, see what they've got to say, join the discussion. Next time, we will be tackling a subject very close to all our hearts, reward. Join me then. You've been listening to the CIPD podcast series.